1: The Bowery Boys, episode 75, Williamsburg, with an H. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey.
0: The Bowery Boys is brought to you by eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe, now with hotels in New York City, on the web at eurocheapo.com.
1: Hello, welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young with a mini episode for you. Today I'm looking at one of Brooklyn's most populated and diverse neighborhoods, Williamsburg. Believe it or not, there was a time between the years 1852 and 1855 where the area we know and love as New York City today was actually comprised of a few small villages and towns and three actual cities, the city of New York in Manhattan, the city of Brooklyn, which was centered around Brooklyn Heights and the Fulton Ferry area, and the city of Williamsburg. That's Williamsburg with an H at the end, incidentally, like Pittsburgh. Today's Williamsburg, without that H in its name, is a neighborhood with multiple personalities, a trendy home for artists and hipsters since the 1990s, a tight litted Orthodox Jewish community, and of course a big Hispanic neighborhood as well. So how did it get its act together back in the 1850s to actually briefly rival the city of Brooklyn? What happened to the neighborhood when the Williamsburg Bridge was finally built? And why did the spelling of the neighborhood change and where can you still find that mysterious letter H today? Now, situating Williamsburg is a little bit of a challenge unless you have a map in front of you, but I'll do the best that I can here. Williamsburg is one of Brooklyn's most northern neighborhoods sitting on the other side of the East River from Manhattan's Lower East Side. Unlike many places in Brooklyn, it's not a unified part, neither culturally nor physically. It's cleaved both by the Williamsburg Bridge and by the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. South of the bridge contains a very tight Hasidic community, sitting within a mostly Puerto Rican neighborhood. The north side, which was once home to the Italians, is now a gentrified mix of urbanites, I guess you would say, bringing in new storefronts and developments. The hipsters. So you have the Hasidim, the Hispanics, and the hipsters, the three H's. Then, there, of course, there's East Williamsburg. Sometimes people refer to East Williamsburg as its own neighborhood, and sometimes people just call it Bushwick. So let's rewind the record here back to the very start where we usually start these types of episodes. By now, you're probably most familiar with the two main Dutch settlements that sprang up here in the 17th century New Amsterdam and Breukelen. But in fact, the area had many other smaller villages that were scattered throughout places that were granted vast areas of land around them by, of course, Dutch leader Peter Stuyvesant. One of these town settlements was Bushwick. Today we know Bushwick as a Brooklyn neighborhood just a bit to the east of Williamsburg, but back in the day, its jurisdiction actually extended through most of the area of Williamsburg and neighboring Greenpoint neighborhood. Bushwick comes from a Dutch word meaning thick forest, which is basically all it was back then. In fact, the area of East Williamsburg today was back then known by a name even grimmer than Bushwick. It was actually called Krippelbush or Het Bush by the Dutch. Due to large patches of coarse, impassable boggy brush that just made the area quite impossible for human usage, basically, Krippelbush separated the rest of Bushwick from the areas of the shoreline along the East River. This little shoreline area, the Bushwick called the Strand, or Hetstrand, the first of many names for this future area of Williamsburg. So, you know, it was fairly serene, uninhabited. Of course, then the British stormed in and stole everything from the Dutch in 1664. And several years later, in 1683, Bushwick would be gathered with the other Dutch townships around the area under the collective name of King's County. Throughout the next 100 years, the British pretty much cleared out some of this useless shrubbery and, in the process, deforested the entire region. Pretty much by the mid-18th century, much of the area had been transformed into farms. When the British were run out of town in 1783 and New York, right across the river, became a thriving and highly populated American city... Some of these farmers were looking to get in on some of that action by selling their wares at New York's bustling markets. This, of course, is very good news for those lucky landowners who just happened to have property in that Strand area along the Bushwick shore. Soon, the very first ferry to the city was launched in 1797 and would go from Grand Street in Brooklyn to Grand Street in Manhattan. But it would take one very visionary, although ultimately unsuccessful, entrepreneur to see this rather unremarkable area for its true potential. This guy's name was Richard Woodhull, and he had a great vision for Williamsburg. Similar to what was happening down in Brooklyn Heights, he wanted to build a neighborhood from scratch. Rows of avenues that would attract New York's wealthiest. It didn't quite work out like it did in Brooklyn Heights, but Woodhull's attempts did help give the area its current name. So, Woodhull begins by starting a rival ferry service to New York in the year 1800. Over the next several years, he then purchases 13 or 14 acres of land along this Bushwick shore, and he hires a surveyor to help plan the community. That surveyor's name was Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Williams, a highly respected Army engineer who worked for Presidents John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and later was the very first superintendent of West Point. Many years later, Williams would actually help design New York's big forts, Castle Clinton in Battery Park, and one on Governor's Island that's actually named for him, Castle Williams. In fact, Woodhull was so satisfied with the work that Williams did, Williamsburg actually gets its name from him, as it is literally Jonathan Williams' berg, or town. Like, he made it. It's his town. Unfortunately for Woodhull, though, expansion would come to Williamsburg, just not soon enough for him. He goes bankrupt within a few years, and the entire property is bought at auction by a man named David Dunham. Let him be known, listeners, as the father of Williamsburg. David and his son, with the same name, David, operate a far more efficient steam-operated ferry Then they buy up even more land, which increases that property. Luckily for David, new roads were constructed in the 1820s, and with the opening of DeWitt Clinton's Erie Canal in 1825, the overall fortunes of the whole area of New York and all the surrounding towns booms. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC, To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. So then by 1827, with 1,000 of its own residents, Williamsburg is declared by the state of New York its own separate village within the town of Bushwick. It can get a little confusing, but now Williamsburg is now an official village in 1827. Meanwhile, further south... The city of Brooklyn is actually expanding quite rapidly, but that's actually becoming a residential center. This wasn't to be Williamsburg's fate, however, at least not at first. With the construction of wharves along the waterfront during the 1830s, it would join neighboring Greenpoint as a sort of factory district for New York businessmen. Frankly, it was cheaper for the New York industries to move over to the other side of the East River because the taxes were lower. You could build these gigantic plants, and frankly, Williamsburg wanted to grow, and they didn't care how. And believe me, the town planners of Williamsburg, they try everything everything. Even in 1835, they build a stretch of model townhouses along Grand Avenue to catch the eyes of all these wealthy factory owners. This self-contained townhouse row might have literally consumed all of Williamsburg had the financial panic of 1837 not shut down some of this development. Financial crisis, shutting down development. Again, I assure you, any parallels at all to Williamsburg's current predicament? Purely accidental, I swear. In 1852, Williamsburg had grown so out of control that it actually severs its ties with Bushwick entirely and officially becomes the city of Williamsburg as recognized by the state of New York. That now makes two rival cities side by side along the East River coastline. There was even a stone fence that separates the two, a stone fence that runs along, surprise, Division Avenue. If you were a budding industrialist, Williamsburg was the place to be. At one point in the 19th century, this district held 10% of the world's wealth. Williamsburg oil refineries provided the entire East Coast with kerosene. Conrad Poppenhusen, which of course happens to be my favorite name this episode, Conrad Poppenhusen started up a successful whalebone business here in 1843, making corset stays and hairbrushes for ladies out of the skeletons of dead wells. A few years later, Poppenhusen would join his business partner, Charles Goodyear, in opening a rubber plant in Queens. In 1848, came German immigrant Charles Pfizer to the neighborhood, opening a chemical manufacturing plant at the corner of Harrison Avenue and Bartlett Street. Their first success, by the way, came with the production of something called santonin, which was used for the removal of intestinal worms. Yes, Williamsburg, this is your heritage. Of course, this company is the one and the same ultra super powerful Pfizer Pharmaceuticals today. So you're thinking whalebones, oil refineries, chemical plants. The air quality of 1850s Williamsburg must have been truly something to behold. There was, however, one company who supposedly filled the streets with incredibly delicious smells. That would be the company of William Havemeyer, who moved his growing sugar refinery plants from downtown Manhattan over here to Williamsburg, where between he and a couple other rival refineries in Brooklyn would help create almost all of the United States' supply of sugar, and it all came right here from Williamsburg. The Hammermeyer family was really successful well into the 20th century, and their company would eventually become Domino Sugar. Their 1884 refinery, which finally closed in 2004, is right along the waterfront, right off the Williamsburg Bridge, and in fact was unanimously declared a New York landmark just two years ago. Now, if you couldn't guess from some of the names I just previously read, Williamsburg was a particular destination for German immigrants. Even as early as 1847, before it had received its city charter, the population of the area was actually two-thirds German. And I hope this isn't being too stereotypical, but I wonder if this explains the other big industry in Williamsburg during the mid-19th century, the brewing of beer. Dozens of beer companies, as a matter of fact, 48 of them by the turn of the century, including Rheingold and Schaefer, developed here and in the Bushwick area. Today you still have one, Brooklyn Brewery, which is of course known for its delicious Brooklyn Lager, which is here in Williamsburg and you can take tours and of course you can sample as much of their product as you like. However, they actually only opened in 1996, so it's kind of just a throwback to these former days and isn't actually an old company. So with all this beer, there has to be baseball. In 1862, right on the outskirts of town, sports lover William Kammire built the Union Grounds out of an old skating rink. The Union Grounds became the very first enclosed baseball field in the world where spectators would actually have to pay to watch the games. I'm thinking they were onto something with this. However, this was 1862, and by the time it opened, something catastrophic had already happened to Williamsburg. The city of Williamsburg almost lost everything. As I said, Williamsburg had become its own city in 1852. Only three years later though, the entire city was absorbed into the city of Brooklyn, who I guess just for giggles also grabbed up old Bushwick as well, basically making Brooklyn the third largest city in America. In this exchange, that H at the end of Williamsburg was lopped off the end. I couldn't exactly find out the exact reason if there was even a purpose for doing this, although I assume it was probably to format it, just like the other cities that end in B-U-R-G, such as the city that it frequently gets confused with, Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. But for a while, it almost lost its name entirely. From then on until the turn of the century, the areas of Williamsburg were frequently referred to as simply the Eastern District. Those original names were Occasionally used, but apparently it had fallen enough out of fashion that when the East River Bridge, which I'll talk about a little bit later, was being planned and the name Williamsburg was going to be reapplied to the neighborhood, many residents scoffed at being called anything but the Eastern District. I found a New York Times article from 1896 about a community protest about this very controversy, which I find completely bizarre. So few people knew the history of this neighborhood that they actually thought Williamsburg referred to. the name of a British king. And so they actually thought retaining that name was unpatriotic. But generally, being part of Brooklyn was very good for Williamsburg in the long run, with greater funding and road and transportation and in governance. And the population grew as well, with many more German Jews moving here in the 1880s onward. The Italians came as well, especially in the 1890s, where many slums in New York, including Five Points, where bulldoze and all those families needed new places to live. The fate of the entire neighborhood changed forever with the consolidation of Brooklyn with New York in 1898. In and of this merge and seeing the successes of the Brooklyn Bridge, the large population and the powerful waterfront industries here Well, they demanded that a second bridge spanning the East River be built. It took seven years, far shorter than the Brooklyn Bridge. But the East River, or Williamsburg Bridge, was finally opened in 1903. It was designed by Leffert L. Buck. And at the time, it was, believe it or not, the longest suspension bridge in the world. Almost immediately, people on the overcrowded Lower East Side began migrating to the other side of the bridge, And soon, Williamsburg actually became New York City's most densely populated neighborhood. In the 30s and 40s, during the war years, thousands more Jewish immigrants settled here, which is how this very tight-knit Hasidic community developed. In the 1960s to the 1980s, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans also came. So basically, after starting as a destination for big business, Williamsburg was actually finally becoming a bona fide population center, and a really large one at that. Williamsburg would also see one more really unusual change in the early 90s. Over in Manhattan, the East Village was becoming quite a thriving artistic community, but as with so many neighborhoods in the 1980s, the rents were skyrocketing. So, like many of those immigrants decades before, this young, often but not exclusively, white community... Crossed over the Williamsburg Bridge, or they took the L train, take your pick, and then they started moving into the cheaper areas of Williamsburg. So today, this community, the hipster community, have turned Bedford Avenue into a bevy of cafes, record shops, and bars. One thing they didn't bring with them, which you'd think, but they didn't, is that letter H to adhere back to the original name. But there are a couple places you can visit where that H still exists. For instance, if you're walking or biking over the Williamsburg Bridge, stop for a moment and look for the dedication engraving which stretches across the beam right over the bridge basically right where the path's fork on there it's clearly written Williamsburg with an h you can also find it on some of the older buildings in the neighborhood too including probably the neighborhood's most beautiful building the domed Williamsburg Savings Bank right off the bridge not to be confused with the of course the skyscraper also called the Williamsburg Savings Bank this bank, which is right up the bridge today, which was built in 1875, was designed by the great George Post, whom you may remember if you listened to the podcast on the New York Stock Exchange because he was the architect for that building. And finally, since I've mentioned the bank and the bridge, and the Domino sugar plant. I suppose I should just go ahead and bring up one more old Williamsburg landmark. It's actually right across the street from the bank. And if you're a voracious meat lover, this is a place you have to eat at least once if you're in New York. It's Peter Luger's Steakhouse, built back in 1887 as, under its original name, Carl Luger's Cafe, Billiards, and Bowling Alley. I don't think the bowling alley is around anymore, but the current restaurant has been refashioned as this totally old school steakhouse that has over the years served the likes of Elizabeth Taylor, James Cagney, and Alfred Hitchcock who claims that the restaurant makes the best steaks on earth. So that was my brief little review of Williamsburg, Brooklyn history. Go take off on an afternoon sometime and just sort of wander around the neighborhood. I'll have some more information up on our blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, where I'll have a few more trivia bits that I didn't get to put here in the podcast. Tom will be back from his trip in time for our next show. So thank you very much for listening and have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.